Well, we came from eating animal protein and everything else follows after that. I don't care what anybody says. You came from animal protein. We discovered fire. We learned how to cook animal protein. Our stomachs got smaller. Our brains got bigger. Our brains got bigger because of animal protein. A lot of our brain is made up of cholesterol. A lot of things that people don't understand. So the best thing you can do for your cognitive ability, your critical thinking, you're basically, from the time you were born, you need to have animal protein delivered to your brain. That's it. You're listening to Eat for Life, the show that aims to help you identify the root causes of what ails you so you can heal and live the life you are meant for. I'm your host, Sammy G. Over the last several years, I've been shocked to learn how laws here in the United States have been manipulated to create false commodities designed to increase higher yields and higher profits for the global corporations of the world. The industrial food complex wants you to believe that we can live on genetically modified foods, lab-cultured meat and milk, and even insects to be healthy. The World Economic Forum also lists upcycled humans as a food source by 2030. And I promise I'm not making this up. It's actually on their website. Here in the United States, there are about 20 different cows and one pound of USDA beef, but they aren't required to share that information with you. And of those 20 different cows, they aren't even from American beef because the U.S. imports 20 billion pounds of beef per year from other countries, mostly South America and Australia. So what happens with this kind of system? Well, corners are cut, the food supply gets tainted, people get sick, and a nutrient-dense whole food becomes demonized simply because of four bad apples that have a monopoly on beef. From Beyond Burger to Cricket Flour Pancakes, and now cell-cultured meat and milk, we are told these products will save the planet, but the opposite is actually true. Our food supply has been hijacked, and we are paying the price for this deception in the form of nutritional starvation. So today I'm talking with Texas Slim, a seventh-generation Texan who took a deep dive into global food intelligence several years ago after embedding himself into a harvest company to increase his knowledge of the erosion of soil fertility and pure animal protein. Slim discovered while on harvest not only the decay of nutrition within our food system, but the direct impact it has had on our society. As he dove deeper into the industrial food complex, he exposed a handful of multinational companies who had not only hijacked our taste buds, but starved us of pure animal protein while rendering us metabolically bankrupt, both physically and mentally. Thanks for joining us today. Here's my conversation with Slim. Welcome to the show, Slim. I'm so grateful to have you today. Hello, Sam. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm just so blessed to have you. This is going to be an amazing conversation, I know. In episode 51, I had the producer of Sacred Cow on to talk about the ridiculous notion that meat is bad for us. We also talked about how farmers are taken advantage of by big ag and this global push toward eating bugs and cell-cultured meat and milk and how this has harmed us, our children, soil, and food supply. And what I've noticed is that most people are completely unaware of how badly farmers are treated, where their food actually comes from. So I'm really excited to speak with you, Slim, because you're on the front lines and have experienced firsthand this shift that started many years ago and I feel is now really coming to a head in so many different ways, which I know we'll get into. But first, I'm really curious, what is your background and what was the turning point that led you to expose the industrial food complex for what it is? I'll try not to take too much time talking about me, but I grew up in small town, Texas. I'm like seventh generational Texan, agriculture and ranching. You know, that's all we knew in Texas. That's what we are in Texas. And I grew up, like I said, in the, up on the Llano Estacado, which is basically where my grandfather's land was about 100 miles away from the epicenter of the Dust Bowl. So my grandfather survived two world wars. 
the Dust Bowl, the Great Depression, gold confiscation, the manipulation of the agricultural department in the United States. He saw the whole transformation. And so I was I was front and center of all these stories and, you know, what happened to our family as far as his legacy, where it led and what his outcome was. And it wasn't pretty. It's it's been a it's been a kind of a generational thing that has progressively gotten worse for the American farmer, rancher, producer. By saying that, you know, it's in my blood. I mean, it's I grew up like I said. I think my town was about seven thousand people growing up, and so I grew up on dirt roads. I grew up hoeing cotton. I grew up swimming in the bar ditches. I grew up around animals, and so I know a lot about what that type of lifestyle is. We grew up with a freezer full of beef and a freezer full of corn from the farm, right? You know, we had our vegetables. We had everything. We didn't really use the supermarket that much. And so I can understand how our heritage and where it came from. And then as I got older, you know, I bugged out of small town Texas and I went to uh, Austin when I was 19. And I fell into, I never went to university. I, I couldn't afford it. I was a poor white boy from Texas and, you know, I couldn't get money or loans or anything like that. So I just went and I basically went to college myself. I'd go to the University of Texas and I'd just go sit in classes. And so I fell into technology and I figured out that the universities at the time that I was coming up, I knew in the streets, in the cyberpunks, knew more about technology than the universities did. And that was during, you know, that was the early 90s and we were going, Austin was growing, things were happening. And so I self-taught technology and I fell, fell into startup companies, uh, software design companies. But in the long run, I became a research analyst. And so I had a pretty cool skill set to where I can go in, I can disseminate information in different ways and people use Google browser, right? I wasn't taught to search the internet with a Google browser. I'll just put it that way. And so... <laughs> I've been around the world a couple of times. I grew up rough and tumble. I've had a lot of health scares. I've broken over 20 bones in my body. I've broken my neck. I've got 14 pieces of metal in, but I've always been really healthy. And I, I attribute that to the core belief system of our family, of our ancestors and of nutrition and what we looked at it. A couple of years ago, I had an internal injury and I got pretty busted up and I had to look at food. And I said, well, I'm just going to dive back in. I'm going to look at, you know, grandma, how she used to prepare meals. I know this is wrong, how we're consuming. Our consumption model has been destroyed in such a big way that people are not aware of it. And so what I did is I did certain things. I, start, I went out and started feeding the homeless. And I used to feed 250 homeless people a day. I worked with communities. I looked at the public school systems and their food programs. I worked through my church and, you know, up in West Texas, I actually embedded myself in a harvest company and I did tons of research and I developed a hashtag called food intelligence. And I said, we're going to redefine this. And it's daunting to look at it. And what do you have to do is you have to get to the source of the seed of where we came from and the source of the seed of the issue. And that's what I started writing about. And I wrote this piece called The Harvest of Deception. And it breaks down the macro global food industrial complex in a way that I had not seen done before. And then, you know, it's progressed up until now. Yeah, that's that's an excellent article. That's on your Substack, correct, Slim? Is that yeah. okay? Great, because we'll we'll definitely it link is. to that in the in the show notes for people mm -hmm. to go go and read. Now, uh, you know, we'll get into the beef initiative in, in a sec here, but can you talk more about the manipulation of our laws and how that's poisoned? the food supply and create these kind of false commodities, right? I mean, there's a lot of manipulation yeah. going on that people are unaware of. Well, there really is. And it started a long time ago. I'll, I'll try to make it short, but people, if they're, if they're really paying attention, if they want to take some notes here, and of course you'll do show notes, but you look at companies like Procter & Gamble. At the turn of the century, Procter & Gamble was the biggest candle seller in the world. Well, they made candles out of cottonseed. Well, 1900, we started burning less candles because we had electricity. So what did they do with that cotton seed? They turned it into this little company called Crisco. And so instead of burning our candles, we started eating our candles. And they basically, you know, started true, doing true marketing to the heritage woman of the United States saying, hey, you know, you don't have to use that greasy stuff anymore. Here we go. We got vegetable oil. Even back in the 1900s, they were learning how to market to the American people and to the farming communities 
that, hey, you could be international, you could be high class, you could be decadent. And so a marketing ploy started happening even back in the 1900s. Let's fast forward all the way into 1950s and you had a guy named Ansel Key and you had a president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, had a massive heart attack. Well, they started looking and saying, oh, why did our warrior in chief have a heart attack? Oh, my God. And everybody got really scared. And he's like, what's going on here? They did a study. Uh, Ansel Keys did a study, and it's a very, very lopsided study. And he, he only put like seven countries within his study. And it wasn't scientific. It wasn't really foolproof as the research. And the, so the war on cholesterol started happening. This guy got a lot of press. And so the cholesterol lie started way back in the 50s, and it built up more and more. As the cholesterol lie was building up, more industrial technology was being brought into our food systems after World War II. We were introducing herbicides, pesticides, fertilizers. We weren't building bombs anymore. We were making fertilizer. And so the agricultural world was changing as well. And so during that transformation, let's say the mid-50s, all the way into the 1970s, all of this was taking shape. Eric Butts of uh, the agricultural department under the Nixon administration said, we're going to go big or you're going to go home. What he meant is that we were going to start monocropping. Monocropping mean we're going to grow one crop, you're going to go fence to fence, and we're going to go feed the world. And then at that same time, we went off the gold standard. And so at that time, since we went into monocropping, mass production of our grains in the United States, we started saying, well, our dollar is debased. Our food is now going to debase with that dollar. We have to basically implement and inject these new fake commodities into our food systems. That's when we started getting seed oils. That's when they started playing around with soy. I was, I, I'm generation X. I remember when they introduced soy burgers in the public school systems. And so by looking at that, you know, we, the cholesterol lie, the fat-free lie, the mass produ production of seed oils that are toxic to people, it all kind of coalesced. And in the 70s, we really picked up steam of changing the food system in the United States. And it's a, it was a global industrial food shift at that time. We're going through the same global industrial food shift at, at this time. They're, they're introducing new fake commodities, fake protein commodities into the food systems. And they're using a lot of different propaganda to back it. So that's kind of the long story in the short there. It's it, like I say, it's daunting, but you have to start from the source of the seed of the deception to understand basically what the source of the seed of the solution is. Uh, amen to that. I really appreciate you walking us through that, Slim, because as you were speaking, I was remembering growing up. I remember Crisco. We used Crisco. And I was also thinking at one point, you probably, you know this as well, McDonald's used to use tallow uh, yes, they when did. they made French fries. <laughs> and suddenly tallow is demonized. We know tallow is an amazing fat with, mm -hmm. with lots of nutrients. So suddenly, yeah, tallow is out. Animal fats are bad for you. I still get asked to this day, it's shocking to me what we know about Ansel Keys and his work, so-called work with cholesterol. I'm still asked to this day about, well, isn't this going to impact my cholesterol? You're recommending red meat. <laughs> and I, you know, it makes me sad because, well, it first is. of all, it's my job to educate as a practitioner, just like you are educating us with your expertise and your calling. And it's heartbreaking to know that the lie is still very much a part of our global conscience, if you will. Well, and it is. The cognitive dissonance is real. And it's something we do have to battle within our education, with our awareness and tolerance. You know, if you, if you really look at a lot of the studies that have been done, you always follow the money. You know, who, who created this nutrient dietitian. We didn't have too many dietitians before 1971. When all of a sudden you look at you look at the the cholesterol lie and you look at all this stuff. People have problems with cholesterol because they're consuming ungodly amounts of high fructose corn syrup and seed oils. And if you pack in a lot of 
other products within that, within going through your arteries, you're going to have cholesterol problems, not because of animal fat, because you've already been ingesting in these seed oils your whole life. Whenever you can go out there and talk to somebody and say, do you know what rapeseed is? And they have no idea what rapeseed is. It's like, well, you know what canola is because you eat it in everything that you consume every day. Well, rapeseed, canola was outlawed by the FDA in 1956 for human consumption. Nobody knows this. They don't really pay attention to it. And so they had to take something that's basically a toxic weed and say, we're going to take out the toxicity and then you can consume it. And in people's perception and their perspectives were really off base. And it's not their fault is that from the academia, America, the university systems, and if you look all the way back into the turn of the century, how much true holistic plants and medicines were taking out of the public's view. And it was done whenever we started going into the industrial food complex that was based on petrochemicals and everything else that has followed. Yeah, well said. When you were talking about canola, I was thinking Whole Foods just, they love their canola oil. It's in everything. You know, people think of Whole Foods, of course, you know, Amazon owns them now, but traditionally Whole Foods as the grocery store is thought of as this amazing healthy store where you can get a wide variety of, you know, sourced animal proteins and vegetables that are organic and all sorts of food products. And I used to go to the Austin Whole Foods, that flagship corporate office, if you will, Whole Was Foods. The one on 6th and uh, yes. Lamar there? I used mm -hmm. to go there all the time. And when I lived in Austin, this was many, many years ago, of course, but I loved going into the store. It was a beautiful store and I'm sure it still is. And I just enjoyed shopping there all the time. But I started to notice this shift and they before it was soy, it was soy to the world. I remember they had a, a whole marketing thing during Christmas, soy to the world. And I thought, oh my, where, where are they going with this? Well, that, that created a lot of backlash, right? Because we know how toxic soy is. Well, then the shift into canola and using that in all of their prepared foods and their olive bar and, you know, anything that is in their prepared area, there is, almost all of it is, is canola. Again, just glad you walked us through that. Well, I'll tell you another fascinating story about canola, okay? <laughs> and it's, it's hilarious because you're right. Whole Foods, whole paycheck is what we always call <laughs> <Yeah>. in Austin. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> but, you know, they did. They were on Ninth Lamar and they were a small little grocery store, man. They hacked their way into a, a, an industry and they did it well. But then, of course, it, it got global. It got industrial and blah, blah, blah. I don't shop at Whole Foods. Well, I don't shop at supermarkets. But anyways, you look at rapeseed and how the, the true manipulation and the true propaganda and, and where that propaganda comes from. Whenever I was on that harvest company up in, I was in North Dakota at the time. And here we are, we're in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota. And all of a sudden you just fields and fields of this yellow flower. Beautiful. It is. It looks great. It's amazing. Thousands of acres. And what that is, is rapeseed. Well, you had these tourist vans that had pulled over and were taking photography of rapeseed and they're turning it into a new, new industry. And, you know, people that follow the cherry blossoms around the world, well, now they're following rapeseed around the world and they're making these tourist packages. So, wow. you know, the propaganda is real it, and it's tough to dive through the propaganda. You know, the endless ways of deceptions, it, it is, it's endless. And so you look, you go against that with the general public because even the general public with good intentions that are trying their butts off to be very informed are being manipulated in ways. And, and you don't have to look any further than the, the health of a nation to see where the deception is coming from. And if people do not realize that our consumption model within the last 50 years is a small speck of time in human history, this has never been accomplished for is how we've destroyed our health in this nation. Ah, uh, wow. Again, well said. I'm really enjoying this, this conversation. And I love your terminology, the seed of deception and We'll talk about, I'm really curious about the heritage woman. I want to kind of, we can weave that in sure. as well. So, so Slim, I'm curious with all of that, and we'll fast forward into the shift that started around 2017, 2018, when animal yeah. protein suddenly, we don't need that anymore. We'll, we'll talk about that. But 
I'm curious. I want I want to dive into the Beef Initiative and what led you to start the Beef Initiative and what was the, you know, kind of, again, the turning point for you in that regard? Well, whenever I was doing, I've been doing this for three years. I liquidated my life and I said, I'm going to commit my life to saving children's lives. And so once I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So by, I didn't start off with the Beef Initiative. It started off with me doing legwork. I really I, I embedded myself in a harvest company. They didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I was researching the grain industry, the global grain industry. And so at a certain point in time, I always get to any, anytime I'm confronted with, with an issue or a problem, I always make myself, and this is from grandfather and core belief systems, you have to create a solution. And so, you know, that's how I pretty much live. And looking back at my grandfather and, you know, get, being able to paint a, a legacy for him and how he, he stewarded the family, the land and the animals. Like I said, I grew up with a freezer full of beef. And, you know, at five years old, I was cooking hamburgers on my own because, you know, the beef was there. And I guarantee you, I'm a pretty tough guy and I'm pretty uh, rough and tumble and I'm pretty damn healthy. And I don't have to worry about all these fears that people are living with and all this kind of dietary issues. I've never have because I've always just eaten a lot of animal protein, it, beef jerky, to whatever it is. That's what it is. And so, you know, I, I took my studies into, you know, the, the deception of cholesterol and animal meat. And I said, OK, now let's let's look at the beef industry, a global beef industry. And what people really don't truly realize right now is they're not there's going to be more and more cattle raised, produced, harvested, and consumed in this world. It's just not going to be the Western countries. It's not going to be the United States of America. What they're doing is they're eliminating animal protein out of our consumption models as Asia and uh, especially China basically consume more red meat than they ever have in the, in the history of time. So they're going to turn basically animal protein into caviar for the United States of America. And then China basically is now kind of taking control of the global beef industry in certain ways that people don't understand. So by knowing this, that's a podcast within itself. But if you, if you look at, you know, solutions, the best thing that you can do in your life right now, especially from, from a health perspective, from a heritage perspective, and actually for your children and for a community is to have a freezer full of beef, but not from the big global packers that control our beef industry in the United States of America. You need to go and shake a rancher's hand and develop a relationship with somebody that's local in your community. Therefore, you can have food security. You can have the best animal protein that this world has is in the United States beef. And you can basically de develop a relationship with somebody you're going to know for the rest of your life and you're building out your community as you're doing it. And so that's kind of where the beef initiative was spawned from. Small town Texas on a dirt road. Mm, wow. I love what you've created. And so if someone were to go on the beef initiative website, at, which, of course, we're going to link to in the show notes, they would be able to search and find a local farmer that they can work with? What we're doing and what I, you know, with my skill set, <laughs> big tech, I scraped the internet several times. And, you know, as I was scraping the internet, you know, I was looking for grass fed, I was looking for organic and all that. Well, one of my arms of research is the labeling industry, USDA, FDA, all of how we label our products. Well, that's a rabbit hole within itself. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> I found out that the deception within the organic and the grass fed, that's just as real as anything else. And so I said, well, I'm not going to scrape the internet. I'm not even going to do anything. I'm going to say who the Beef Initiative is, and I'm going to welcome, and I'm going to encourage producers to come into the Beef Initiative so people can find them. We started out with, I stood, it started, the Beef Initiative started out with one handshake that led to another handshake that led to another handshake. So at this time in our producer section, you can probably find between, I think, 80 producers in the United States now that have come willingly on their own into the beef initiative because they want to they want to have a new consumer demand that points to them in that way. They can actually be a rancher. They don't have to do the marketing and advertising. And once again, that's another story. But if they can't find a local producer, what we've done is established relationship with uh, Cole Bolton of KNC Cattle down south of Austin. 
What we've done is we've done a vertical integration back into our food supply from the soil to the grass, to the cow, to the producer, to the processing center, to the supply chain, to your fork. We now control the beef initiative. You don't have to go anywhere else. It's peer-to-peer transactional. You can come to the beef initiative. You can either subscribe for a monthly beef box or you can basically just go and get your beef box delivered to your doorstep just like Whole Foods does. And that other thing called Butcher Box. But yeah, we'll, oh, I don't yeah. Talk, we'll, go, we'll talk more about that <laughs> later. That's another what show. Right? Know is that you, it's the best beef in the world and we stand by it. So you can either find a local producer or you can actually, you know, buy through the Beef Initiative. And that's what people are finding out. Love that. And that and when you do that, you help, like you said, Slim, you create community and you're pushing back against this political push toward eating, I said this earlier, bugs and cultured meat, lab meat and milk, which to me is just completely horrifying. But you're creating Let's go community. into that real quick. And yeah, please do. Mm-hmm. Go into, okay, everybody goes bugs, you know, and everybody says, I'm not going to eat that fake meat steak. I'm not going to eat that, you know, 3D printed meat. I'm not going to eat that stem cell meat. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not. Well, yes, you are. You're just not going to know about it. See, that's the distraction. What people need to understand what they're doing is once what, just like they did with seed oils, just like they did with high fructose corn syrup, they're basically injecting a new fake commodity into your food and they're going to shove it into Jimmy's pizza pockets and his chicken tendies and the parents are going to feed their kids these fake protein commodities. And they can do that because we think it tastes good. And, and that's what people need to focus on instead of all this propaganda and all these distractions with the fear porn that everybody can't get enough of on TV. What we need to really do is focus on the source of their intentions. Their intentions is to insert a fake commodity into the food supply that is broad based. There is a global industrial food shift going on right now, and it has been planned for a long time. 2017 and 2018 was when they got their marching orders. You've had four major global consolidations of global food corporations. The last one was in 2017 and 2018. At that same time, you had consolidations of the chemical and grain companies of the world. So within the last four years, and while everybody's been distracted with COVID, with Trump, with all that political stuff, They've been basically engineering a new food system and people aren't prepared for it. I'm glad that you shared that because it seems like and then the climate change thing is, is, is a big part of all. It's all it's all interwoven, essentially. That's part of the propaganda yeah. for sure. Yeah. OK, yeah. People know my story and I'm always upfront and honest. And this was many, many years ago. This would have been 2007, something like that. I, you know, I'm going to admit, I, I kind of got in with a crowd of people that were very hardcore vegan. And I was living in Texas. I was living in, first it was Dallas, and then I moved to Austin. And at that time, there was a huge, huge community of, of raw vegan individuals that really pushed that lifestyle. And at first, I thought, oh, this is great. I lost all this weight. And I couldn't be small enough, right? All I cared about was being a size two. But my health really fell apart. And my my brain, my cognitive capacities, my neurotransmitters, everything connected to that, my hormones completely collapsed and fell apart. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm really in trouble now. I need to re- rethink this strategy. I got to say, I love this quote from you to kind of tack onto that. You said, this is not a vegan versus vegetarian versus carnivore. This is about food intelligence and making good choices when it comes to food consumption. You mentioned food intelligence a, a bit ago, and I'm, I'm curious, can you tell us a bit more about what that means? Yeah, I was up on Harvest and I was like, man, how, how do you attack food intelligence? It's daunting, like I said before. Well, and in, in that's where I came up. I'd say, okay, hashtag food intelligence. Well, where, where do you start? Well, you start with the source of the seed. And what is really, let's get to the brass tacks here. Where do we come from? Where do we truly come from? You know, as a people, as a species, you know, as an evolution of, you know, where, where did we come from? Well, we came from eating animal protein and everything else follows after that. I don't care what anybody says. You came from animal protein. We discovered fire. 
We learned how to cook animal protein. Our stomachs got smaller. Our brains got bigger. Our big brains got bigger because of animal protein. A lot of our brain is made up of cholesterol. A lot of things that people don't understand. So the best thing you can do for your cognitive ability, your critical thinking, you're basically, you know, from the time you were born, you need to have animal protein delivered to your brain. That's it. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. If you choose or you cannot consume animal protein, then you need to basically know exactly where that protein is coming from. And it's not something that has been basically compromised, manipulated throughout the years. You know, you look at food and like we said, there's a lot of good intentional out there. You know, I'm not telling people to go out there being a carnivore. I am from Texas. I eat beef and I'm proud of that. And I will stand by that until I die. If somebody's a vegan, so be it. Be a good vegan. You know, make sure that you're not doing it because it's idealistic. And I was in Austin for several decades and a lot of my friends were vegans and some of them were very first base principles. But some of them were also very idealistic, thinking that you know, animal cruelty or, you know, everything that everybody throws in there as far as the reasoning for being vegan. That's fine, man. That's your belief system. Go with it. But don't manipulate and do not propagandize animal protein because it makes you look better. Do it because you have facts that are proven from the seed up, from the source of the seed. Most of our nutrients and minerals come from the soil. That's what people have forgotten, and they're trying to bring food science into our terminology and into our thinking. Food and science have no, no, no reason to be in the same damn sentence. Food is biology. Food is not science. And for people that think food and science go together, take a pause and go study soil for one month. I encourage you. It's a challenge. Once you do that, you're going to think differently. Whenever you have now six pounds of spinach that you have to consume so you can match a pound of spinach 20 years ago, that means our soil is dead in this nation. And, you know, you talk to a lot of the experts that, you know, from the herbicides to the pesticides to the monocropping, everything we've done in these five decades, our soil has been depleted of those nutrients, of those minerals. I don't care what you grow in it, the genetically modified seed in which we consume in the United States of America is now basically a roadmap to health destruction. And so if you're going to be a vegan, great. Grow your own vegetables and soil that you created, that you have control over. So you have to really get down to the source of the seed of where we came from and then where we are now and what is the solution. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up soil health. And even organic, you know, obviously has so many issues with it. And when I am educating someone that I'm working with, I'm always talking about things like glyphosate and how it's used in every aspect of production. You know this, Slim. It's used to desiccate grains, all this oat milk these young kids are, are consuming. It's basically just sugar water with a bunch of chemicals. I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone by saying that, but I need to be honest that there's no nutritional value in any of these foods. And I'm always so concerned when I'm working with a little one and they're being fed these types of foods because, uh, you know, again, we're, we're being told that these are healthy and we need to move to this model to be healthy. But yet autoimmunity is, is, is through the roof. Autism, mental health challenges in our, our, our children. It's, it's fascinating. And I think one thing I want to add, add on to what you had said, food scientists are paid a lot of money to create foods that taste good, that trigger the brain in a certain way. I loved it when you said food and science, they don't belong in the same sentence. And that's why, because it's, again, it's a manipulation to make you think that this is a really great food. It tastes good. I'm getting an initial dopamine hit. And then there's the crash. And then there's the gut dysbiosis that happens because these foods create leaky gut. And then we start to get overgrowth of bacteria and yeast and even more health challenges. And so I, again, just really glad that you walked us through that. I'm curious, Slim, I, I, I want to talk about like, like right now you mentioned, you know, the, the, we talked a bit about the cell cultured meat and the milk and, and, you know, all these silly commercials that celebrities are doing where they're eating bugs and which is so bizarre to me. But, but currently, 
and and kind of the conventional model uh, isn't isn't there something like upwards of 20 different cows and one pound of meat is is that correct yeah in the in the 85 percent of our animal protein right now in the united states of america are controlled by four global processing packing it's national tyson jbs is a big one cargill jbs let's focus on them they're, you know they're out of brazil They've been uh, basically price manipulating. They've been getting fined. They've been sued. The owner has been in prison for bribery of Brazilian politicians, United States politicians. It runs deep. By saying that, they've, you know, they, they process a lot of animal protein. And they did a study, I believe it was down south of San Antonio. They looked at a, a basically a batch of hamburger meat. I think they found 89 genetics, 89 different genetics of different cows in a pound of ground beef. So you're consuming 89 different cows from you don't know where. And just because it says USDA doesn't mean anything. Just because the FDA says it's okay doesn't mean anything anymore. And I'm going to give proof of that. It's not because I hate the FDA. It's, it's, I don't hate, I don't, you know, it is what it is. You look at what the FDA and the USDA is doing. They're, they're basically captured entities of our government. October of last year, the FDA won a lawsuit. And it was basically, it was a lawsuit that falls under the GRAS rule, G-R-A-S, generally recognized as safe. That's what it, it, the GRAS rule is. They believe that the FDA believes it is generally recognized as safe, they can embed it into our food system and they don't have to tell you. So here at this time, people thinking that they they look at that that carton of oat milk, whatever it is, or almond milk, you know, that is just sugar and coloring and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? The FDA and the USDA right now are actively embedding 2,000 new chemicals into your food system and they don't have to tell you what it is because it's generally recognized as safe. So if people are going to look at labels still to the, today in this, in this industry, and especially with beef, you say, hey, it's grass-fed. It says grass-fed right here. Oh, it says organic. You can have a dairy cow that has two teeth and it's not on some grass for a couple of days, and they can put grass-fed on that. So you do, nobody really truly knows where their beef is coming from. People really truly don't know the, the, the middlemen that are involved the time that the food gets to us, the consumer, we're nothing more than the recycling bin anymore. And that's what people need to accept. Acceptance is the key. And if you look at a nation that 78% of us are now obese or overweight, you know all these statistics. One out of two of us are already diabetic or pre-diabetic. Our children now between the ages of 5 and 11, 46% of them are obese or overweight, going to diabetes. We have children that are coming in with fatty liver diseases. And, and you can see that, well, how do you get there? What caused this? Well, it's because of our consumption model, because we're, we're eating, basically, we're a recycling bin for industrial food. Yes, yes, yeah. And we think we're consuming American beef, but again, it's not really American beef anymore because it's just a Franken food mixture of, again, we don't know what it is. I, I have so many young people in my practice, or I've had over the years and, and still do, where they're eating a lot of these, you know, fake meats and Beyond Burgers and so forth, and they have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And it, it's, it's, again, it's a process. It's my job to educate and help them slowly realize and get over the brainwashing that these processed vegan foods are what are causing your health problems and your OCD and your depression and your anxiety and so forth. So it's just, yeah, it's mind-blowing. Do you ever wonder what's going on inside your body? What's happening to make you feel cranky, anxious, depressed, or lethargic? What chemicals might be aggravating your ADHD, OCD, or disordered eating? I'd love to help you get a head start on identifying and addressing the underlying condition that's leading you to feel less than your best. Get started by taking my free life assessment. It takes five minutes or less, and it's a great place to begin understanding what your unique biochemistry might be. After you take my assessment, check out the corresponding cookbook I've created. Match your unique biotype to its cookbook with 25 recipes, including breakfast, lunch, dinner, appetizers, and desserts. 
You'll find a cookbook for each of the unique biotypes I work with. Zinc deficiency, copper overload, over and under methylation, and pyrrole disorder. You'll also find a meal planner to make this process easy and enjoyable. My recipes are free of grains, gluten, dairy, with the exception of ghee, which can be substituted, refined sugar, nuts, and soy. Remember, to get started, go to eat4.life and click the free assessment tab at the top to start your healing journey today. Talking about beef and not knowing where beef comes from, I call it the Brazilian cattle drive. Okay, if you look at the Brazilian and South American beef industry, basically they they you know they're talking about destroying the rainforest. Well, a lot of things that happened, they were they did cut down a lot of the rainforest. Well, who who was behind that? Well, it was it was financed by China, and at this point in time, China is importing more beef across the world than any other nation. Brazil now is exporting more beef than the United States. Okay, now let's look at that. So we gross the best beef in the world in the United States. Most of our beef gets shipped overseas. It goes to the highest bidder. The packers, processors are the ones that control that. The producer, the rancher has no say. And so you look at that. You have a Brazilian cattle drive where that meat starts off in Brazil it makes its way through a, a commodity roadmap as far as grains and chemicals from the chemical and grain companies. It gets to America. It's, it's slaughtered in America in a processing center. It gets slapped with USDA Prime. That Brazilian beef gets fed to Americans or Texans, let's say in Texas, and then the beef that's grown in Texas gets shipped to China. This has happened actively, and this is what the ranchers are trying to get people to understand the only reason this is happening is because our consumer demand allows it and accepts it because we say, oh, look, it says USDA Prime. Well, BS, no more. What we have to do is say, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to create a new consumer demand toward the people that actually live and breathe to basically steward the land and steward the animals. And so by knowing that and accept, those are facts right there. And if you, if you look at JBS, during COVID, they just settled out of court earlier this year for a $56 million fine for major price manipulation in the beef industry during COVID. They made $500 million in profit off that price manipulation, and they settled out of court for $56 million before they actually got any press. That's the stuff that's happening that the general public does not understand. And, and that's what food intelligence is knowing exactly where your food comes from. It's a power move in life. It's something, it's not a judgment against anybody right now. It's an observation that makes your life better. It creates intentionality. It creates a new market access to your health. It's a vertical integration back into human health. And it's being led by the great American rancher. And it touches, it, it, it starts with a touch point of you and the producer themselves. And it's possible. And people are doing it. So I had to say that. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you walking us through that, Slim, because I think, again, you know, this podcast I, I, is, is all about educating people. I want people to understand what's really happening. Pull, let's pull back the curtain. Let's speak the truth. We're, everything that we're sharing can be verified. Everything that we're talking about, again, like you said, I loved it when you mentioned this is not a judgment. We're just simply sharing the truth with you. We want you to see what's really happening and why your health is being impacted in the way that it is. I, I couldn't help but think when you were sharing that whole process with us, how expensive that is to have to ship all of that back and forth between companies when we could just focus on our own communities, our own ranchers, our own farmers. I just, it's just, I just think of all the wasted taxpayer money, to be quite frank with you. Ridiculous. Well, yeah. And I'll give a roadmap of what happens to our food. Let's say I'm up in West Texas right now where I'm based right now, but I'm all over the nation. But right now I'm in West Texas. We have a place that has a kill plant. It's one of the, you know, JBS kill plant in, 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 in Hereford, Texas. Okay. That beef gets put on a hook. Well, then they put it in a truck. Well, that truck goes all the way to Nebraska. Then they cut the cow up. Then they bring it back to Texas. And then they basically disperse it out to where they're going to disperse it on the international market, right? 
So you look at the time and energy that is spent with the, the basically these contracts that basically are first signed by governments. And then the corporations come in and they get to bid on these contracts. So it's like I said, it's a global industrial food shift. What is stopping the individual saying, I'm not going to do that anymore? I'm aware of that now. Acceptance is the key. Since I'm aware that this is how it happens, I can go into a, a, a basically a, a grocery store now in the state of Texas and it says catfish. And it says Texas catfish. Well, that catfish is spawned in Texas. It gets shipped to China as it's still alive. It, get fed, it gets fed byproducts that are part of the industrial food system, another fake commodity. They feed that catfish. That catfish comes back to Texas. And then therefore, look at everything, the energy that was used to do that catfish and how cheap that catfish is in the end. But who made money during the transportation, during the fake commodities, the, the feeding of that, everything that on the industrial level and here we, the consumer, are the ones that are allowing that to happen because we don't have the level of food intelligence that we need. The level of food intelligence that we need as people right now lies in our heritage. It lies in our grandmothers and our grandfathers that basically were a hell of a lot stronger in, in spirit and in mind and body more so because they looked at food from a survival aspect instead of a convenience. And everything that we look at at food now is based on convenience. And that has led to a form of complacency. So once again, deeper down the rabbit hole of what food intelligence is. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us, Slim. I really love how you weave nutritional starvation into your work as well. You know, I've been saying for years that brains and bodies are inflamed in a way we've never seen before, especially in our children. And to overcome this, families need to really understand, like you said, what food is and how deceptive food giants are in their labeling and marketing. So let's talk more about this concept of nutritional starvation and how families, you know, you've spoken into this a lot already, which, you know, I love and has been brilliant. But can we get a little bit more granular in terms of how, you know, maybe a, a bit more about labeling and, and talking more about, well, how can parents educate themselves in a better way. Obviously, I want everyone to go to, to thebeefinitiative.com. I want them to read your work uh, online, your Substack article, The Harvest of Deception. But I, I kind of want to talk about this nutritional starvation a bit more. You bet. This past year, what I did, and I've been doing this for like three years. I've been across the nation um, probably three times now in different places, in different capacities. One thing that I've seen, especially this year, and it's, it's there's tons of food deserts in the United States, and a lot of people don't get their food except from a Dollar General or a convenience store. I always tell people the convenience store has become the new supermarket, and the supermarket is the old convenience store. And so if you look at it from that perspective, well, what is being consumed every day by everybody? Well, what we're doing is we're overfeeding ourselves and we're nutritionally starving our brains and our bodies because of our consumption models, because of the market access that we accept, because it's based on convenience. And so this last trip I took throughout the, the southern part of the United States, what I saw is basically I see it a new layer of poverty being stacked on the existing layer of poverty. And I always ask people, what, it, what do you consider poverty? And a lot of people, oh, I don't lack of money. No, poverty is nutritional starvation. It's, that's it. That's the base layer of what poverty is. Anywhere you go, if you are able to basically get a higher capacity of nutritional vitamins and minerals, everything that you need as far as you know, what protein delivers to the brain, you can fight and you can get out of poverty. What a, if you look at the history of man, and how societies have been starved out from, you know, Russia starving out 6 million people during communism, China doing the same thing during their history. There's a, there's a play on society to where, you know, you're not always going to have the best nutrition if you're dependent on the powers that be. By saying that, I've been, I have relationships with uh, between 10 and 20 doctors that have come to me and they're reporting to me. And the one thing that they all say that they all have in common in their research from neuroscientists to heart surgeons to functional medicine is that we are now nutritionally starved in our brains. Our brains are inflamed. And why is that? Well, it's because of GMOs, overly processed 
food, overly processed food that are these fake commodities in which we consume every day. And so it is. It's a, what do you do? Well, I have one doctor, Dr. Mary Kerr. She's out of Dallas. And she says, basically, whenever I have parents come to me and I have children, she basically tells them, I'm going to require you do a 48-hour bone broth fast because your brain is inflamed. What that bone broth fast or reset, you don't want to get too, you know, the semantics of everybody. They get kind of, you know, I don't know, temperamental about it. But what you do is you, you, you stop your system from ingesting all this industrial waste and you give your body a chance to reset because that way once you can start thinking clearly again you can kind of understand the madness whenever you're nutritionally starved you're not thinking in a critical level you're thinking from emotions you're thinking from fear you're thinking from deception you're thinking from a lot of different things that has basically blocked your brain from being able to process in a clear form and manner. And everybody goes, oh, that's just not, yes, it is true. Because case study after case study after case study, if you can basically, you know, do something like a 48-hour bone broth fast, what you're doing is you're delivering basically protein back to your brain. You're giving it a rest. You're giving your metabolical system a rest. And a lot of people have a hard time doing that. You know, my father was a counselor for, he was a licensed chemical dependency counselor for 25 years. And we look at, I look at addictions and why people get addicted. Well, if people think that food is now not a drug, then they're lying to themselves. It's denial, just like we have in addiction. And somebody that tries to quit consuming this high processed food system that basically causes insulin spikes, everybody's eating four hours, every four hours. And it's just a never-ending hamster wheel of consumption. Well, if you stop that, it's a lot like an alcoholic basically detoxing off alcohol. Alcohol is sugar. It's uncomfortable. It's scary. And that's where a lot of people are stuck these days. And so I always tell them, hey, try a 48-hour bone broth fast. Quit shopping in the middle aisles. (laughs) I tell everybody this, and I do it myself. I don't shop at the supermarket that much at, at all. Get your camera out. And go walk down the cereal and the oil aisle and film it. And just go film the cartoon world that they've created and they've basically established in the United States of America. Look at all the colors. Look at all the, you know, the ploy on words. You know, heart healthy. And it has a blue vampire, you know, for your kids. And it's all it is is sugar. You know, if you really think that the labels are still telling you the truth, well, 48-hour bone broth fast, and let's see what you feel like. Yeah. <laughs> and then go film the supermarket before and after you do a 48-hour bone broth fast. And, you know, if you, if you look at it from that perspective, give yourself a reset, man. It's okay. It's, you're, not, you're not harming anybody. You know, we all love each other, right? Let's, 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 let's give yourself a break. Just try it out once and see where it goes. Yeah, I love all that you're sharing and just the fact, Slim, that you, you know, you have these relationships with practitioners that are reporting to you. I mean, we see it. We know that it's a problem. The government talks about how much of a problem it is, yet they still I promote. tell a lot of people it's so simple, it's complicated. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's just, and then from a, you know, from a clinical perspective, I mean, just, just what I see in terms of, as I shared earlier, neurotransmitter activity hormonal activity. We have boys and girls with very, very dysregulated hormones at a very young age. Well, why is this? What's going on in the in utero environment? I love working in the area of fertility because we know that if we can get parents before conception, we can create a lot of amazing change. We can prep their bodies to have healthy children and, and bring healthy children into the world that are happy and healthy and living out their purpose in life. And that's, you know, again, that's why we're doing this, right? We really want to help children and we want to help families understand. So again, thank you for sharing that with us. So I'm really curious. I kind of want to get into Slim, just talking about overcoming food insecurity and scarcity. And we've talked about that a bit, but can you give us maybe some tips about what consumers and farmers can do to protect themselves? 
Well, I think it does. It, you know, we we don't we're not going to feed the world. We never have. And you know, people need to lose that perception that oh, we we can't change because we got to feed the world. Well, well, how you feed the world is you feed yourself first, and you feed your family, and then you feed your community. And if you can change that perspective, once again, how our ancestors used to do it, the lies do exist. We can still do everything that our grandparents did, and we can feed this nation. We feed a lot of the world, but we're not feeding America anymore. The proteins and the good, wholesome food that which we caught here with. So if people understand the overall umbrella of the deception, then they can go back and the, the, the producers, the ranchers, the grass farmers, whatever you want to call them in your area of the country, they need help. Us, the consumer, needs to understand that we need to change our consumer demand and we need to put our foot down and we need to say no more. And it takes the individual, the strong, intentional individual is the one that's going to do this. And if you look at this like this is some big marketing plan, it's not. It's not Amazon. It's not point and click. It's not based on convenience. It's a lifestyle. It's an international lifestyle that they can now join because there's tons of people doing it. And as you basically go out there and learn, whenever I was in, in, in big tech, I was cited to do a research study back in the days whenever we started texting and emailing. And it was a study on the division of interpersonal communication skills and where we've gone from. That was back in 2005. And until now, we pretty much predicted it was in telecommunications industry. The, the amount of division that we have basically allowed into our lives with these devices that we have has caused something of an antisocial behavior that basically kind of generates a form of yearning. Well, that yearning basically goes right now into our consumption models of audio, video, and food. And every one of them are controlled in centralized ways. You need to decentralize your mindset first, start decentralizing your market access in which you, the individual, have control of. You don't have to ask for permission. And you need to go shake a rancher's hand, a producer's hand, an animal or a vegetable producer. You need to go out there and say, teach me, why do you do what you do? I want to know more. Let them educate you and then say, well, may, may, I, may I support you? How can I support you? Can I buy your beef from you? Can I buy your fowl from you? Can I buy your hog from you? Can I buy your vegetables from you? And once you start doing that, you start building a whole new community that's based on your family first. And it's not being selfish. That's being a sovereign individual. And everybody yearns every day to be, feel empowered. Well, the one way you can do is get your feet on the floor in the morning, put your boots on and go out there and actually have an intentional lifestyle that's not based on convenience and the complacency that comes with that. And, and as you do that, your food intelligence grows, your relationships that are basically more like-minded, they grow, your health improves, and you're not afraid and you're not play, playing this food insecurity game that most Americans are. And they're doing that because they listen to the propaganda. This is a global food industrial shift that's going on right now. What does that mean? It means from the ground up, the industry is changing and they're going to reinvent it in ways that it's going to nutritionally starve our brains even more and make us even more complacent and more unhealthy. And I always tell people, all right, we got one out of two of Americans right now that are on insulin. Think about that or close to, okay, how much does insulin cost for every individual? It's $900 a month. Who's paying that money? Not every diabetic has to pay for their insulin. It's a subsidized product from the pharmaceutical industry. They do not want proactive. They want reactive medicine in this nation. And if COVID didn't prove that, then, you know, people really do. Once again, they're living in a state of denial. Don't play a part in it anymore. Separate. You don't have to ask for permission. All you have to do is have some intentional behavior. So many pearls of wisdom there, Slim. And I love how you talk about disassociating yourself from the news in general. And I, I tell people all the time, please just, just get off your devices. I mean, I know we need to have them to a certain extent, some more than others, perhaps. But 
we can definitely pull back on those devices. I totally got off all social media. I'm not interested in it at all anymore. I just let people know, hey, come to my website. I've got all my resources there. You won't find me on Facebook or Instagram. I don't want to be part of that system anymore. Like you said, with regard to a mind shift and protecting yourself, there's so many layers to that, not just in changing what you're eating, but in, again, developing these communities and, and realizing how much we are manipulated in so many different ways. And, and I'll be honest, I've seen this for years. I've been a practitioner for over 13 years now. So I've seen this for a long time, but COVID for so many of us was an eye-opener in seeing how, how the system actually is structured and how it works, which, again, you've walked us through beautifully. And I think the way back is recognizing the problem and, again, yeah, developing community and relationships. It isn't selfish to take care of yourself first. In fact, when I'm working with a family, I almost always, and I push this, I want to work with the parents first. Usually it's the mom. But I want to make sure that they are healthy and whole, and, mm -hmm. and then they can be the caregivers that their children's require. So I really, I think that is so critical and so important, and I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. And from the beginning, let's break it down, and I'll break it down how it is for my life, my core belief systems, the women in my life, they're the most powerful, powerful entity when it comes to food in this nation. Why do you think Procter & Gamble advertised and targeted the heritage woman from the very beginning to manipulate them to start consuming candles instead of burning them, right, with Crisco? So if you look at the heritage woman and where the heritage woman came from, the pioneering woman, that's been the women in my life, the Texas Panhandle, that, you know, we live in Comanche Company. We, we, we live in a rough and tumble place. The Texas Panhandle is rough. And we didn't establish the Texas Panhandle till 1878 after the Comanche Wars and the Mexican Wars. But what it took is it took a strong individual woman to come here. And so that's what I get to reflect on as my history. You look at the heritage woman and what they stand for and how it's been manipulated and how the strength and the power from the heritage woman has been basically propagandized and, you know, saying, oh, you're just going to stay in the kitchen. Well, that's BS. The heritage woman is the one that feeds that heritage, the one that actually is always thinking about food, how to nurture their children and their, their family, basically. So, well, how do we change that? How do we get back to the nurturing and how we get back to the basically the fundamentals of what it means and where a heritage woman came from and what it is, the most powerful thing a woman can do right now is to re-educate herself so she can educate herself, feed herself based on truth and not the deceptions. The endless ways of deceptions have to end within the woman's heritage woman's mindset. So by saying that, we're, put, we're putting on, I brought into several nutritionists, several heritage women with our conference that we're having, our summit that we're having in Georgia next week, the Beef Initiative now will be moving forward with the Heritage Woman series. I'm doing an audio docu-series. It's going to be the Heritage Woman. We're going to have a panel of women that are come from ranching families from exactly like you, a practitioner. And so, you know, what they're doing is they're re-educating the woman. And we're going to make it more of an international lifestyle, just like they tried to with Crisco back in the early 1900s. You want to, you want to, I'm going to turn pop culture on its head is what we're going to do is what I tell everybody, because the new sense of empowerment, what most people are yearning for, especially after COVID right now, it starts by basically looking at the heritage woman and how we can redefine it as our grandmothers and our mothers and our great grandmothers were. They were strong women. They had a lot of say so, and they had a lot of power and we're going to give them back that power but they first have to get back to the source of the seed of what the solution is. Wow. Again, so well said. I just, I, I feel like we could talk forever, Slim. <laughs> I'm just so grateful for you. 
Do you have anything else you'd like to share with us today, Slim? I encourage everybody to definitely go to the platform, beefinitiative.com. If you can't make it to Georgia, you need to tune in to the Substack, which is texasslim.substack.com. You know, go, go do some reading, spend some time doing that. But you look at children these days, and everybody asks me, why are you doing this? It's to save children's lives. First and foremost, I liquidated my life three years ago. I got out of corporate America. The only time I haven't watched TV for over three years, I don't listen to the propaganda. I don't participate anymore. And my life has never been better. People need to hear what I'm saying. Turn off the fear porn. Turn off the lies. Quit living in the lies. And go do your own research. Become an expert of what food intelligence truly is. Start from where we came from. Ask yourself, why do I desire what I desire? Simple question. Go look in the mirror and tell yourself that. Why do I desire what I desire? What is your consumption model? I'm just not talking about food. I'm talking about audio, video. Why do you desire that consumption model? Who is in control of that? Is it you because it tastes good? Because it sounds good? What is it? Ask yourself that question. There's an account accountability mirror that basically you need to answer to. And I'm not preaching here, man. I've done it myself. And, you know, I don't ask anybody to do something that I haven't done. But the deceptions are real. The solutions are real. They're right in front of us. We don't have to ask for permission anymore. A baby from the first, basically since it's born, all the way for a year should never have any grains. It should be basically based on animal protein, animal fats. Within the breast milk itself, from egg yolks to, you know, to any type of protein that you can get within, you know, a, a solution, a formula. My mother used to chew up steak when I first started eating solid foods and she would feed me steak, the best form of nutrients that you can get, especially back then when we didn't have any chemicals in our beef. And so if you can, if you can lose the cognitive distance, you can come with an open mind and really look about where we came from and how we were powerful. Look at the state of Texas and how Texas once fed a nation with cattle. The, the story is fascinating. It's a whole new lifestyle. Cowboy up and get busy. And it's time. And so that's what I like to tell people. This is not a change that's going to be painful. This is actually a change in a lifestyle that you're yearning for already. You just don't know about it yet. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Slim. This is an, an incredible conversation. I hope that you'll maybe have the time to come back on the show. And thank you for your wisdom and your knowledge. And thank you for standing up for the truth and, and sharing what you know so that other people can benefit. We're just so very grateful for you. So thank you. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on. I, I love to be able to spread the message. And, you know, this is a collaboration. We're all in this together. Food intelligence recognizes the relationship between animals and humans. Because true nutrition comes from mineral-rich soil, where animals and humans alike are able to thrive. Taking soil and animals out of the consumption model and into a lab is a recipe for disaster, and that is where the deception lies. No amount of lab-cultured meat will be able to replace meat from healthy animals. SLIM's creation of the Beef Initiative Network is a grassroots, organic movement where the source of the seed and the soil is a dominant factor when localizing pure animal protein. The sole ethos of TBI is to provide a platform to like-minded, regenerative farmers, direct market access to processing plants, and customers alike. Visit beefinitiative.com to learn more. I believe sharing is caring, so I have a favor to ask. If my show is helpful to you, I would be so grateful if you would leave me a rating and review in iTunes. It is through sharing that we create community, eliminate guilt and shame, and bring about healing. Thank you in advance for taking three minutes out of your day to support my show so others can find me. Don't miss an episode of Eat for Life. Be sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player.